Hey, good morning. Ooh, I'm on. Mike is hot. Hey, uh, we are glad that you're with us. My name is Mark Porter. I'm the executive pastor here at Live Oak. And if I have not met you, I would love to meet you after the service. Uh, we have been in this series called Vintage. And uh, really, it's this idea that some things are worth hanging on to. That in the life of the church, that there's some things that while culture's changed, uh, methodology's changed, technology has certainly changed since the church started 2,000 years ago, some things should never change. There's some things that we should always, always, always hang on to, some non-negotiable values. And those are vintage things. And we know vintage things. Like here's a picture of something that's old and something that's vintage, okay? Right, albums, they're making a comeback, right? My 17-year-old son, he has albums now. He plays it on a record player, right? Eight tracks, not so much, right? Uh, My letter jacket from high school, that's old. It's not vintage, right? But my Star Wars T-shirt, vintage, right? Well, that's true with the church as well. And during this series, we've talked about some things that are vintage, some things that we should never, ever let go of. And I'm just going to summarize a a few weeks here. Uh, First of all, Doug talked about this idea of discipleship. Matthew 28, it says this, Jesus says, go and make disciples, right? That's something the early church did. That's something we should do. And baptism, which Doug just shared about, we should always be baptizing. That we are called as followers of Jesus to make disciples. And what's a disciple? Well, it's just a follower of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus who becomes more like Jesus. Around here, we would say you want to measure your spiritual growth, measure your love for God and your love for others, right? That's a good determiner of our growth as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. We're called to be disciples. And the way Doug said it was this. He said, we need to be one and we need to make some. We need to be a disciple, to grow in our love for God and love for others, but we need to go make some. And we've got to do this together. We've got to do this together. We've got to get that good news out. Like it's this whole idea of, hey, who's missing out on this? Who could I invite on a Sunday morning to fill these empty seats? Who could I build a relationship with and invite to lunch or whatever it is? Right, we've got to do this together. This is something we would never let go of. Doug also talked about this idea of generosity and this idea that our money, right, our money, what I do with not my money, but his money honors God, changes me, and impacts others. And we've kind of come back to this, this phrase, how it honors God, changes me, and impacts others throughout the series. But, but Doug, he didn't do a giving talk. He just talked about generosity and our posture toward our money and that the, body, the, the Bible has a lot to say to us about money and that our posture toward that as, as, as we handle our finances is huge. And I just want to tell you, for me personally, this is an area that I have really grown in over the years, that as I have kind of opened my hands and trusted God more and more with my finances, it really has changed me because I don't look at my finances the same. I, I, they're not mine. They're his. God has given me so much. And Mindy and I, we give through the Live Oak app, and I encourage you to do that. 
It's a great way to participate in giving here to the mission of the church, but we give by recurring giving. So it's set up every month, and we do that purposely so that we don't cheat it, right? We give God what's first, not what's left. And we also, one of the things we've really tried to do as a family is we, every year, we incrementally increase what we're giving. Because we believe, based on what Scripture teaches us, is that the tithe, 10% that you hear about a lot of times in the Old Testament, for us, we just feel like that's the floor, it's not the ceiling. Because Jesus gave all to us. And so we want to re-gift what he has entrusted to us financially. The word stewardship literally means to manage something. And we have been entrusted with financial uh, resources by God. The other thing we've been entrusted with is gifts. And Doug said this, that your difference makes a difference. Your spiritual gifts, that you have influence, that you have abilities, that you have skills, that God has placed under your stewardship, under your managership, that he's given to you. And that we need to use our gifts together. That th- this can make a difference. That it can change us. That it can impact others. And it really honors God as we re-gift to him. And the way I think about gifts is this. Is that it's like a football team, right? Like you need your best players in the right position. You don't want your quarterback playing center, right? Or your guard playing running back. Won't go so well, right? You want your... You're, you want everyone in their right position playing their best fit. And when we do that, we build each other up. And we reach others for the kingdom. Again, it's a stewardship, it's a managership issue. And then Clay shared with us about worship last week. And he said this, he said, there's no authentic worship of God without the right knowledge of God. I love that. And it's not knowledge about God, it's experience with him. And I love what Clay said, he said, hey, worship isn't a three-song set we do on a Sunday. And it's not the posture of your hands. I, love, I don't know how many of you guys were here, but he's like, it's not big fish or raise your hands up, surrender, whatever. He, he, he said, it's not about the posture of your body. And this is what really got me last week. It's the posture of your heart. It's how we worship through our interactions at work, on our sports teams, at, uh, at school, in our relationships at home, in our relationships at work, how we worship through um, our finances, how we worship through interactions that we go through day by day. Yes, we worship through song, and that's a great thing, but really this is about the posture of our heart, about recognizing how awesome God is. These are things we never want to give up on. We never want, these are values we will hold on to as a church that we should never let go discipleship and stewardship of finances and stewardship of our gifts and worship. And then I'm going to share one today out of Acts 2.42. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. The breaking of bread and prayer. Now, this is not about a buffet, all right? This is not an early potluck, right? Luke, who wrote Acts, we, He's talking about this idea that we're going to celebrate at the end of service called communion. This is what something the early church held on to as a value. And here's the cool thing about communion. We celebrate it later today. Some scholars have argued it is the most practiced ritual or vintage practice, if you will, in human history. Think about that. 
that you're going to share in a vintage practice that the disciples of Jesus shared with him. And that today we will share with other Christians around the nation, around the world, tens, maybe hundreds of millions of people will share in this vintage practice. Why is it so important? I think it's cool that we're going to share this with tens or hundreds of millions of other believers today. And why was it so important that the early church said, hey, we can't give up on this. We can't let go of communion. We have to do this. Why is that so important? Many of you may recognize this picture here. It's a famous picture. Sorry, it's a little blurry. What's this a picture of? What's it called? Last Supper, right? And in this, Jesus is celebrating a meal that was not communion. He kind of sets up the first communion at this meal, but he was celebrating something else. He was celebrating a vintage practice called the Passover. See, Jesus was into vintage stuff. And so basically, the Passover had been going on for over a thousand years. And the Passover was part of this feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And if you were a Jewish male, 12 years of age or older, you were required to make a pilgrimage to a holy place, in this case Jerusalem, every year to celebrate the Passover. And what they did in this meal was they remembered what God had done. Basically, the Passover and the the Feast of Unleavened Bread was basically this. It was basically Jewish Independence Day. Because what they were celebrating was that God had delivered them out of Egypt after 430 years of oppression and slavery by the Egyptians. That God had miraculously delivered them. And to fully understand communion, we've got to go all the way back and take a look at Passover. Because the Passover, because the cross really looks back to the Passover, but the Passover looks forward to the cross. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the Passover, about what it was, because context is important, right? Right? Thank you. Thank you. It's okay to participate. I want to apologize up front because this is going to be a little bit of a long excerpt I'm going to read, but I think it's important. Okay? Exodus 12, 1 through 15 says this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people that are there. Let me stop there for just a second. This is a communal event. There was going to be a lamb that would be shared by a household. And if your neighbor didn't have enough, you would share with them. You were to do this together the same way we're called to do communion together. Next slide. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you must choose must be year-old males without defect. That's important. And you may take them from sheep or goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Let me stop there. Did you catch this? Take this lamb, baby little lamb. It's without defect. It's really cute. On the 10th day, 
And then I want you to care for it for four days. I want you to feed it, water it, make sure it's warm enough. Don't let the kids name it because it's not going to go well, right? You build, I hate to say you build a relationship, but they nurtured these lambs for four days, right? You must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood. I know it's gross. Some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they are, where they eat the lambs. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all of the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. God's going to do this. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will say it with me. Passover. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is the day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. It was the blood that protected, that delivered the Israelites. This was the 10th plague or 10th miracle that where God had shown up. And Israel was delivered miraculously through the blood of lambs and goats out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of oppression. And this is what Jesus and his disciples were celebrating that night that we call the Last Supper. They were celebrating the Passover meal. Now, the Passover meal looks a little bit like this. There's various elements to this meal, and we could spend probably several weeks studying this and going through it and tying in connections, but I'll just make some observations here. One of the things on the meal was bitter herbs. Not herbs, that's a guy, herbs. And they would eat these bitter herbs, and that was to remind them of the bitterness and oppression while they were in uh, Egypt, being oppressed, held in slavery. And there were these four cups that are represented here, and they uh, were held up at different times during the meal, and they represented four promises that God had fulfilled. See, God keeps his promises. He shows up, not always the way we think he will, but he shows up and keeps his promises. These four, promise, these four cups represent these promises out of Exodus 6, 6, and 7. I will bring you out. I will free you from being slaves, and I will redeem you. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Let me focus on promise number three for just a second. The word redeem means to buy back. Like when you take a coupon to the store, it's their coupon. You buy, they buy it back from you and give you a discount, right? The other translation, which I actually like better, is to pay a ransom. See, if you take my kids, they're 15 and 17, I might just let you keep them. No, I would want them back and I would do whatever I could. I would pay whatever I needed to pay to get them back. And that's what God did for the Israelites, for his people. He bought them back through the blood of lambs and goats. He redeemed them. He rescued them. And so they were celebrating this meal, this memorial, this Passover meal to remember God's faithfulness 
God's promises and how he had shown up. And they'd been doing this for about 1,200 years. Jesus had probably done it multiple times growing up since he was 12. His disciples had too. And then suddenly Jesus is going to reframe it. He's going to reframe it through him. I want to ask you guys this. Have you ever wondered why we have memorials? Here's some memorials. 9-11 memorial, the Lincoln Memorial, and the Iwo Jima Memorial. Why do we have those? So we don't forget, right? We want to look back on our past. We want to remember the sacrifices that were made for us. We want to learn from those, and we want to honor them. That's why we have memorials. This is not my quote, but I love it, and we've used it before when we've celebrated communion together. It says this, we remember what we should forget, and we forget what we should remember. That's so true, right? That's why we have memorials. That's why we need tangible reminders like the Passover meal and communion to remember the sacrifice. Do you realize in Scripture that God says 250 plus times, remember? It's almost like he knows we are forgetful people. that we will forget what he's done for us. He, we will forget whose we are and what, who we are because of his life, death, and resurrection. 250 times it says to remember. So let's look, let's look in Luke 22, verses 7 and following, and we're going to read about Jesus celebrating the Passover with his disciples. It says this, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. We know how that happens now. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. And he, back up just a second. There's some pretty uh, interesting directions that he gives about a guy with a jar and all this kind of stuff. I just think that's cool because God's into the details. But we're going to go and skip past that. Go on down. Next slide. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he, ta- and he took bread. And he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. See, Jesus took the Passover meal, and he redefined it. He made it a new practice through him. 
And communion is not a pilgrimage back to a sacred city, but it's a pilgrimage back to the cross. Because every time we share these elements, we are reminded, maybe for the, we are reminded where we first found forgiveness, where we first found hope, where we first found grace and mercy and a new identity. One author said it this way, God came to us so we could come to him. And these simple elements of bread and juice that we're going to take here in a little while, a body broken and blood poured out. These tangible elements so that we would remember a body broken. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He is our life. He is our sustenance. Our spiritual life comes through this body broken. And even though his body was broken, he was not defeated. And God has a history in scripture of using broken people like us as well. Because he's in the redemption business. A body broken, the bread of life broken for us so that we might have new life through him. And then blood poured out. Blood poured out, not by lambs, but by the Lamb of God, capital L, the Lamb of God. Blood is a theme that runs throughout Scripture. I know it's a little bit gross, sounds a little bit gross, but it it is, it's a theme that runs throughout Scripture. And we know that blood is like, it's life, right? Like, that's not rocket science. Physically, we got to have blood to live. But spiritually, it's significant as well. Spiritually, blood means life as well. Hebrews 9 says it this way. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness. If you read the Old Testament and New Testament for that matter, you will find this theme of blood over and over. And in the Old Testament, animals were sacrificed for their blood, right? Over and over to cover the sins of the people. These lambs, these animals were sacrificed. To cover the sins. But when Jesus went to the cross for us, he didn't go to cover our sins. He went to cancel our sins. Once and for all. By the blood of the Lamb of God. And when we celebrate communion, we remember a body broken and blood poured out for us. I want to take, just share a little bit of an analogy with you guys, and then we're going to share the elements together. But this, when I read this story, it made a lot of sense to me, so you can listen in. Hopefully, it'll make sense to you. How many of you guys got a flu shot this year? Yeah, a lot of us, right? You get a flu shot. When you do that, right, you get a little flu virus in there, and it's dead flu virus, right, or they use synthetic flu virus now. But it's to, so that your body will recognize that virus, 
build up antibodies to it. And that way, if you are exposed to that strain of the flu, I know they miss sometimes and all that, right? Don't get me started, right? Your body can respond to it. Do you realize, speaking of cool things about your blood, do you realize that your blood has memory cells in it that they can, it can recognize an antigen and remember it for like 60 to 70 years? I'm the only one who thinks that's cool. All right, I'll just geek out up here by myself. I think that's so cool. Your body responds and sends white blood cells, right? And all these things to fight off the infection. That is so cool. You're like, Mark, what are you talking about? Hang in there. We get a flu vaccination, right? To keep the flu away. This idea of vaccination tracks back to the 18th century to this fellow right here. His name's Edward Jenner. He was a pastor's kid, right? They can be okay. And Edward Jenner, he was an English doctor. And in 1796, there's a little disease going around the world called smallpox. And it was devastating Europe. Actually, it's devastating most of the planet. It had a 10 to 20% mortality rate. And in cities and with young kids, the mortality rate was much higher. Some estimates say it killed between 80 and 120 million people. It was devastating Europe. But Edward Jenner observed that milkmaids, when they milk cows, they would get a similar disease to smallpox called cowpox. Very original, right? Very similar blisters, but no fever, wasn't, there was no death related or anything like that. And so he began to think there's a relationship here because milkmaids rarely get smallpox. And so what he did is he took this young man, his name's James Phipps, and we're not sure what James Phipps did for his mother to allow him to be subjected to this. But Edward Jenner took his arm and he scratched it repeatedly with a blade until he bled, right? And then he took pustules of cowpox and he smeared them into the wound, exposing the boy to cowpox, right? I know it's gross. A few weeks later, he repeats the experiment. Same boy, we don't know what mom's thinking, but he did it with smallpox. He took the pustules of smallpox, this deadly disease, scratched the boy's arm, and put it in. James Phipps ran a slight fever and then recovered. Edward Jenner repeated the experiment with his own family, with multiple other subjects, with his own eight-month-old son, with the same results. And then he went out and got a trademark. No. He shared it with other doctors all over Europe, and suddenly there was a drastic decline in new sufferers to smallpox. Do you realize in 1979, the World Health Organization considered smallpox eradicated from the planet? Edward Jenner is considered the father of immunology. He was the first person to uh, coin the phrase vaccination. And there's a lot of different terms for vaccine or a lot of different ways you could define vaccination, but I love this um, definition. Just listen. Vaccination is when we borrow the defensive properties from someone else's blood to protect us. Let me read that again. 
And I want you to think about it in terms of what we're about to celebrate with communion, about a body broken and blood poured out. We borrow the defensive properties from someone else's blood to protect us. See, when we accept Jesus as our forgiver and leader, we get a spiritual vaccination. See, we have this disease, right? It's called sin, or maybe that's just me, right? And there is no cure except by the blood of Jesus. Because sin leads to death and separation from God. But through the blood of the Lamb of God, we have this spiritual immunity. We we are fully forgiven. We have a new identity because the blood of the Lamb. 1 Peter 1.18 says this. It was not with perishable things such as silver and gold, that you were, there's the word, redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You were ransomed, you were bought back, paid for with a price through the blood of Jesus. The blood that doesn't cover us, but that cleanses us, that cures us, that gives us new life. The new covenant that was established through his blood. And when we share in these simple elements, what we're doing is we are remembering, right? We are remembering and renewing our covenant with him that he made with us a body broken, and blood poured out. This is the new covenant in my blood. We journey, we take a pilgrimage back to the cross. And remember, with hope, the new life we have in him. Fully forgiven because of his blood. We reconnect, we reaffirm with Jesus, but also communally with each other. See, I really believe this. How we approach communion honors God as we remember him. It changes me. It should change me. And it should impact others. Because we would want to share this good news with others. When we acknowledge this, when we take these elements, we acknowledge our remembrance and allegiance to Christ, but we show our participation as a body of believers, not just this body of believers, but with other believers who have faith in Jesus. And so we're going to, at this time, enter into a time of communion. So what I want you to do is just kind of prepare your hearts. I'm going to ask the ushers to come on up and to pass out the elements. And what I want to ask you guys to do is just to sit there and to reflect. The elements are double cupped. Just take one, hold on to them. Think about these elements. Think about a body broken, the bread of life 
broken for you so that you might have new life. Blood poured out by the Lamb of God. Not to cover your sin, but to cancel it. Talk to God, reaffirm with Him, reconnect with Him. And then I'll come back up and lead us through the elements together. We were ransomed by a God who loves us through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And through these tangible elements, we remember, we reconnect, and proclaim his death until he comes. And Jesus took bread. And gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
which is poured out for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we are forgetful people. We are forgetful about your grace, your forgiveness, and even the hope that we have through you. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for these elements to remind us that a body broken, the bread of life given for us so that we might have new life, new identity, and blood poured out so that we might have forgiveness, so that we might live a new life with the spiritual immunity we have through Jesus. Thank you for these elements. Thank you for your son, Jesus. For all he has done for us and what he continues to do as we follow him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to remind you that we will have worship night tonight. You guys are welcome to come back and join us for that. Thank you for being here. You are dismissed. If you'd like to visit, I'll be down in front. Thanks for being here.